Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider. We're a couple days removed from Notre Dame's 38-27 loss to USC in the regular season finale. Notre Dame 8-4, awaiting a bowl bid, an opponent, a destination. Lots of talk about the portal, coaching staff. Notre Dame received a verbal commitment from Christopher Tarek. We'll comment on him in a bit. But but guys, let's start with uh, Notre Dame losing by 11. They competed to the very end. Which I always felt, I think everybody did too, that one way or another, Caleb Williams was going to lead another scoring drive if he had to in order for, for USC to pull this game out. Yeah, I never felt once they got down 24-7, they would win the game. It was good to see. You know, they obviously had their chances to make it closer. I saw some people going back and forth with you on your column about that Williams would always pull it out. It's He probably would have, but had Notre Dame, had Drew Pine not fumbled, it would have helped a lot. The interception, I think I've talked about this with both of you publicly. Um, when you're trailing by a lot and you're Drew Pine and you're asked to carry the game, you're probably going to throw a pick against the team that has turned the ball, turned opponents over more than anybody in the country. So people, I know it was a, a pick that hurt, but that's going to happen with Drew with a, with a quarterback, right? With most quarterbacks trailing 24-7, you're probably going to get harried into a pick, which he did. The fumble really hurt because it was a it was kind of a momentum killer. They were they were right back in the game had they gone down and scored there and you put a could there was never game pressure again on USC because well they they would have made it a one score game there and with plenty of game pressure and getting in the groove and there was just no game pressure after that that was the killer for me um human beings make mistakes too I mean he played it Drew Prime played a great game or a very good game and he made a mistake that cost Notre Dame yeah I thought Notre Dame was situationally really poor uh in the game whether it be the Logan Diggs sweep or the Mitchell Evans sneak. Um, their their tackling was as bad as it's been all year. And it was frankly, it was just it was twice as bad as it's been at any point this season. It was it was as poor as I've seen uh in a long time. So that was, I mean, they lost and then they lost in the moments like we, you know, they've been good the last few weeks at end of the first half, beginning of the second half. Um they got they got destroyed in the in that situation uh, in that time frame of the game. I there was at no point did I think Notre Dame was going to win the game after Drew Pine fumbled the ball. Um, but we've all covered Notre Dame USC games where Notre Dame is totally outclassed in the game. Um, this was not one of those games. Um, I think they they got beat by a better team, but not a team that's miles away from them. Um, by a better other, team other than a quarterback superhuman player yeah yeah he was a tremendous miles, player that day usc is miles ahead of notre dame at quarterback um they have a more experienced head coach but uh in terms of where notre dame is as a program i, I didn't think this was one of those games where you come away thinking like oh we have to reevaluate everything like no just usc is is ahead of notre dame right now i would agree with with most of that uh guys and and, and tim you said yeah i was going back and forth about who won O-line, D-line, and, you know, I mean, I, I thought Notre Dame's offensive line pass blocked really, really well, which yeah. is a, a large reason why Drew Pine was 23-26 for 318 yards and, and three touchdowns. But, you know, we went into this game figuring that Notre Dame's offensive line had a distinct advantage over yeah. 
uh, over USC's defensive front. And and again, we were talking to him. We talked about an instant analysis right after the game. And we were, we were talking about 200 yards rushing 250 260 somewhere in that vicinity. And I mean, in addition to only rushing for 90 yards, I think they had 26 carries. And we often talk about the importance of the number of carries in addition to the yardage. And they didn't even get to that. Now, fortunately, Nordings offense was able to pivot a little bit with Drew Pine. He had a, he had a, for him, he had a great game, uh, a very good to great game uh, by any standard. You know, the, the fumble, that was, a if you, if you watch the replay and Herb Street pointed out, I, I think that Pine was distracted by what he thought was going to be a collision between Estime and Jaden Thomas with Jaden Thomas motioning so that kind of distracted him, and that's part of the reason why he lost the fumble. But uh, no, I don't. I don't think the difference is night and day. But when you go into this game expecting to have an advantage in the trenches, at least on one side of them, and not taking full advantage of that, it's not going to be enough against Superman in in, in that environment. Yeah, I my part of the preview was some things we think and some things we know, and you got to give credit to the USC coaching staff as well because. We think Notre Dame's offensive line against USC's front seven greatly favors the Irish. It did not. It USC outplayed them in the running game and Notre Dame outplayed them in the passing game, but it took Notre Dame a while to get to the point where they were protecting Drew Pine to have an offense too. And I wanted to say one thing Freeman mentioned post-game, and this just might be guys shouldn't be honest. He talked about it, you know, not punting often except for the first possession, which was feeling out the game. You can't feel out the game when you're down seven nothing against Caleb Williams. If you, there's no time to feel out that game. There was no feeling out process. It's I get it because you think you're gonna have a long game, but there was eight or nine possessions. There, there is no feeling out when someone's that good. Um, we thought USC's passing game versus Notre Dame's back seven would greatly favor the Trojans. It didn't really. No, I mean not over the not. course of four quarters, it did not. Yeah, and I said the special teams for Notre Dame was gonna have to make a play. I so much credit now they're in plus territory, but so much Brian Mason's team didn't get out there once. Nope. Yeah, that was a really good. I I sort of thought about this a couple of weeks ago. Like, at, at what point will Notre Dame's punt block be so good that it for it would prompt Lincoln Riley to go for it in a situation where the analytics said punt it, but I didn't even think about having Caleb Williams punt it, which well, is we didn't even know smarter. he could punt that well. That was pretty impressive, um, actually. Yeah, I mean he he outplayed John Sott. Um, it never was, happens. Never. Yeah, you you're, you don't see a lot of Heisman Trophy reels that have punts and an OPI on them, but like uh, Caleb Williams had both. So it, yeah, I just uh, USC won pretty much every situation there was to win in the game. The important um, ones, yeah, because once, as Tim said, once Notre Dame started pass protecting and moving the ball through the air, it was we're behind by two score mode. Yeah, and that makes it tougher. And they were they were down. Well, they were down by double digits the last thirty plus minutes. And they were down by double digits for almost 43 minutes. So they were in chase mode the whole time. And, you know, Caleb, Caleb Williams hurt them more with his feet than his arm. He did, he, but he was amazing he was, with his feet. He was, he was yeah. I mean, yeah. he was a hundred yards of, under what he normally throws for. And, you know, no one receiver killed Notre Dame, but he hit 11. I think it was 11 different guys. Um, four different, four different guys. Got five first downs on Mickey. And two different guys got first downs on DJ Brown. And somebody else got a first down on Brandon Joseph. And then somebody else did on and two guys on JD Bertrand. That's an amazing effort. Yeah. 
But yeah. it, it, but it has to do with a lot of it, not not all of it, because there was one or two free access throws. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that Caleb Williams knew they couldn't bring him to the ground, and then he would find time and find somebody. The the uh, biggest dis I'm sorry, people. The biggest disappointment for me was that Austin Jones just killed him. Yes. Uh, you know, 154 yeah. yards rushing, 6.2 yards per carry, which is exactly what he averages for the year. He's a he either has become a better back or he was a better back. Then we realized at Stanford as Stanford struggled to get back to their their uh, customary level of running the football from a few years ago. But that was the, you know, and and I there's a lot of debate going back about three three five. They were trying to match up to Lincoln Riley's passing game, and and it, you, it, there was a distinct when they went two by two with four wide receivers. That's when Notre Dame went to the three three five, and they would. You know, they would crash uh, uh, Leah Fowl into the line of scrimmage and do some things along those lines. I understand why, you know, from an approach standpoint, a personnel standpoint, they did what they they did. It's just Notre Dame held USC to the third lowest amount of yards in a game this season. I, you know, I mean, it's it, to, to think that you're going to hold them to 380 is yeah. is, is very, very unrealistic, although I guess – you know, Oregon, Oregon State and Washington State did a really good job. But, you know, that's that's over the course of a season in the midst of the season. And nobody can be on top of their game every single week. I, you know, in terms of holding USC down, I mean, they, they finished with 7.1 yards per play for the season. They averaged 7.27. So, you know, it was it was a pace of play got yeah. you to the total. Um, and it, that was I got to give USC credit because the game was played at Notre Dame's pace, but USC won the game, um, you know, convincingly too. So that was, that was impressive on their part. I, uh, I was, what I was going to jump in is like, I thought there were a lot more than one or two free access throws uh, that Caleb Williams had, which I found. Sure. A, sure. But he bit, made, what do he make? Two dozen plays. I mean, a dozen plays. Yeah. It was just that, that was sort of infuriating because a lot of them happened on third down. Um, yes. Yeah. Against Jaden Mickey, which like there, there were two issues there in terms of personnel usage and, and how you're playing it. Um, but I think if, if there was probably a, the biggest surprise for me was the tackling by Notre Dame's defense. But the second biggest surprise, like if you took out Isaiah Foskey about how poor Notre Dame's defensive line played, I just did not think that they looked in tune ready to go. Um, I think that some of them look stiff and slow. Uh, it was, it was bizarre to watch Notre Dame's defensive line being like, is this the same group that I watched the previous 11 games? Because short of Isaiah Foskey, it did not look like that at all. Um, I also wonder when we talk about, you know, coming out three down front, trying to match up with the receivers and everything. Tariq Bracey had to get hurt in Wednesday's practice or Thursday's walkthrough because he was interviewed Tuesday after practice. They would not have sent Tariq Bracey up with a hamstring injury to talk. That means the, not only was the defensive game plan in, but it had been implemented and practiced for at least one and a half practices out of the three. Yeah, it's a tough switch because Tariq Bracey's a heck of a lot better at corner covering people than Ramon Henderson, who did not get totally exposed. I mean, Jaden Mickey had the roughest day. That is hard. That that's a difficult situation. And I'm going to go ahead and be a hypocrite here because we always talk about how they must know who they like better in certain matchups. Does Jaden Mickey need all 66 snaps at corner when Clarence Lewis, I know he helped at nickel, but can't you give the guy a little bit of help for Clarence Lewis has played against Clemson twice and Alabama and North Carolina as a starting field 
corner. I know he's a boundary now, but he used to be a field corner. He has played those guys. They did a good job on him, probably. Those coming mean, Devontae Smith did a good job, but Clarence Lewis can get out there and help you, right? <clears throat> One yeah, would I think didn't. because Jaden Mickey was drowning. He was drowning the whole yeah, night. It's not fair to I mean, he can't play at that level yet. No, I thought that yeah, was a really just because he's he was highly coaching. touted doesn't mean he can do it. Yeah, I want to get back, Pete. I think your point about the D line. I, I thought I thought the defensive tackles were were not good. Um Riley Mills was just I mean, that that was an extremely poor performance. Yeah. He got pushed around. He he USC's offensive line just totally took him out of the game. Howard Cross was not Howard Cross that we've seen. Uh, he was pushed in a backpedal mode. And then, you know, this constant linebacker, Nordheim has a linebacker issue. I don't think J.D. Bertrand is is the issue, but Nordheim has a linebacker issue. And if you watch this, you see how many times where defensive linemen are actually getting pushed back into the lap of a linebacker. It's hard enough to tackle Austin Jones without having to re- to tackle through your defensive lineman getting pushed back into you. Um, there was a lot of that going on. But, I mean, Jaden Mickey was absolutely drowning the entire night. Yep. His his tackling was worse than his pass defense, and his pass coverage wasn't, wasn't very good. He was hopelessly wandering around out there without any confidence. To hear, and you're talking about the kid who has came into Notre Dame with the most confidence of all. He had no uh, reason to enter that particular game with confidence because he hadn't built up no, any equity as a cover man no, this year. It, it no. was a rough situation that they that Tariq Bracey was out. You wonder if Tariq Bracey would have played field corner the whole game and Clarence Lewis and Ramon Henderson would have been the nickels because certainly that could be an adjustment that they were going for. And imagine having Tariq Bracey out there instead of the guy that got beat the most. Yeah, and you were the, you, Tim, you were the first one. You said Bracey's not, Bracey's not in and it's like, you can't you're not I knew there was you, a how problem. in the world are you you're not going to win the this game, game without Hart and Bracey, Bracey. Yeah. I, there's just there's just there's there's no way and ultimately you know Williams again beat him more with his feet than his than his arm yeah. but it all adds together and he's brilliant Bracey's a very good tackler I would like to yeah. he should he should player. win the Heisman Trophy Right. I mean, come oh, on. Yes. Not even close this I, year. You know, and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be contingent upon the, the Utah game. Although I would imagine that USC is going to even the score there uh, as well. That'll be an interesting game. Well, to, he's going to play it. well. I can tell you that if they don't even, the I would score. imagine. So Yeah, I would imagine Uh portal. Uh, I, we have tons. Of, we have, I want to give everybody credit. We've got tons of questions today and I, and I got to be frank that, there are way more questions and answers on November 29th because there's just, we've kind of got to let some things unfold a little bit. Like, you know, where, what exactly, what direction is Notre Dame going to going to go in uh, with the quarterback in the portal? Most of these guys don't have their names in the portal yet. Um, we'll talk a little bit bowl game and, and coaching step bowl game, Pete, anything change from what you've been saying from um uh, the cheese it bowl from the Gator Bowl to the Holiday Bowl. No, I, I mean, North Carolina losing to NC State did not help. The Holiday Bowl uh, probably makes the Gator Bowl even more likely. So, pretty much down to Gator or cheese it. If North Carolina wins the ACC championship, I believe Notre Dame will go to the Gator, uh, maybe the Holiday. And if Clemson wins, then it will be the Gator, maybe the cheese it. I think that's sort of like the. You just flip those back and forth. 
we've been asked a lot about coaching staff changes. It's, I just feel like it's too early here in the process to, I mean, we've talked about what might happen on offense in the past. And I don't, I don't think that we're in a, a position here right now to give any major update on that. So let's let a little time pass here and see what direction that goes. The last thing I want to mention in this segment before we get to burning up the boards and our questions is that Notre Dame received a verbal commitment from offensive lineman uh, Christopher Tarek. I would I would I would warn everybody that the best thing for you to do is watch his senior film. Probably just watch his senior film. Don't, watch don't even say film. the other word, huh Tim? I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't go to his junior film because if you start with that, which I did you're wondering what the heck is Notre Dame doing now? The kid shed about a bunch of pounds. He's really strong and quick in in very short space. I think he's a guard, uh, but he's not the most mobile guy in the world. He's a lot more mobile at 295 than he was at 320 or 325, whatever he was as a junior. I have one thing to clear up from the or, um, offer from the game that people really wouldn't know. We were looking down at the field trying to see how Estime was moving, and I noticed uh, Carmody did not make the trip. Well, he might have made the trip in, in street clothes. I'm not sure yeah. about that. But uh, Billy Schroth was in uniform, so he was the 10th lineman. And then I assume that's a mistake by Notre Dame. Caleb Johnson wasn't out there, right? Not what? Oh, was that? Was he listed? Somebody's asked about it because he was listed, and I didn't never saw him. I, I checked everything. Imagine. I couldn't find him. So and we I were, didn't. you know, just to follow up, we were accurate with Estime. He was struggling with turf toe. They paced him. So he only had seven touches, six running and one receiving. And he looked really good when he had the ball, but I, I'm sure he was dealing with quite a bit of pain. It didn't, it didn't, it looked like it in pregame, but it didn't look like it yeah. in the game, but I, they didn't, I just don't think they felt like they could, he could be a workhorse for him, for them. And Chance Tucker was the corner that traveled, not Riley and Barnes. And this is not a, I know Tucker's from California, but you're playing USC for a lot of things. You're not bringing him out there just because he's from California. Yeah. So he, he won He's kind of ahead of them in that, in that spot. And they traveled a walk-on safety again instead of Justin Walters. So you can read between the lines there. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. In 1916, Irish rebel forces have taken up position on the north side of Dublin's St. Stephen's Green Park. They exchange fire with the British to the south. Suddenly, a man enters the park with a brown bag above his head. Both sides cease fire. The park's groundskeeper has come to feed the ducks. For the next six days, there is a daily ceasefire so the ducks can be fed. Learn more when you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question is from Wilms1. To what do you attribute the underperformance by the offensive and defensive lines against USC? Do you think the coaches schemed well for the team? Uh, I, I don't know that any of us have the exact answer here. Um, I mean, USC, USC has a, a, a really good offensive line. I, I mean, I'd heard some stuff during the week, like, oh, they're not that good. They're good. I mean, they're veteran and they proved it. I, I don't really know what the, I don't, I mean, scheme wise, I have a hard time just leaning on that. I, 
USC's linemen outplayed Notre Dame's linemen the same way Notre Dame's linemen outplayed Clemson's linemen. Yeah, I, mean, I, sure, I, I know mean, it's deeper than that, but it's 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 not always this um, you know this conundrum. How how do we figure it out? It's players playing better than the ones they're going against. Yeah, because it's like the defensive line did not play well, but I don't know if I would put that all down to like the three three five. Like I don't I don't think that had a ton to do with it. Um, you know, they Marcus all week was you cannot let. Caleb Williams spin backwards. And I mean, you can see they tried to get deeper than him in a lot of their pass rushes. It was kind of exaggerated, but he still spun out of it. I just, they didn't do, didn't do a great job with like the number one priority that they had, um, which God, I mean, they spent all week talking about rush lanes and being aggressive and not letting him spin out. And then the game started and all those things just sort of fell apart. Yeah, I think the offensive line, I, I didn't think they started well. Um, there's obviously a missed assignment on the third down attempt to start the game. That I don't love that. I, I mean, the play, you can always say this, if they blocked it right, they would have worked. That that literally exists for every play call. If you block this right, it's going to work. But it also was a chance for Notre Dame to lose yards or be running parallel to the line of scrimmage. D- Diggs was coming off the field, ran back on the field to run that sweep, whatever you want to call it, jet sweep to Logan Diggs. It's I didn't love the way that I just thought the offensive line was not the aggressor at the beginning of the game. That was the one group that needed to be in the Trojans defensive line. As Tim said, answered the bell. They played, they answered the bell and they played better. They were, it was fourth and one. And for the first time all year, it was fourth and one and a half, but it was fourth and one and a half. And for the first time all year, they stopped Notre Dame, but there were also third and ones and third and twos, mostly third and twos where they stopped Notre Dame to make that fourth and one happen. Yeah. I thought I thought Tui Tolopu was really good. We knew he yeah. was really good going into the game. I thought he had a very also good versatile. Game. He's a versatile guy. He'll he'll move back like they moved Justin Adamiola, a middle linebacker. Yeah, and he goes I mean, back they, there. It's you know I don't I I, I think that man I don't want to individualize this per se, but I mean I thought Lug and Lug and Corral had been playing pretty good football, and they got stymied in this yeah. game. I tell you what I. I I mean, I guess I guess I misevaluated this because I thought Nordin was going to take advantage of USC's interior defensive line, and it didn't happen. Now, you know, in conversing with some other people that were trying to pre-evaluate the game, I had the exact same said to me: Nordin can take advantage of their defensive tackles. I'm like, okay, all right, well, that's that's an advantage, but it it was not, it it, it wasn't, and. Um, Nordheim lost both, you know, again, there was a debate about how this all transpired, but I mean, USC averaged 5.2 per carry, Nordheim averaged 3.5. I don't want to make this a statistical thing, but if you just look at it and add it all up, I think Nordheim lost both sides of the line of scrimmage. Also, uh, Logan Diggs used, spent the last nine weeks breaking tackles, and USC did a good job tackling Logan Diggs. The leg drive was not getting four extra yards mm-hmm. and five extra yards, and they weren't running through as many tackles. It's the team, other team played much better than Notre Dame did. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree that the interior line, there was, I think it was Tyree. Tyree's one really good run. Corral basically tackles a guy, uh, which was, you know, there were a few egregious misholding calls, but that was one of them. <laughs> I do. I want to throw this in about Tyree. If you see at the end of the game, um, when, when he comes out of the game and he waves to come out, it, he had a run 
where he was driving his legs and he had his, and, and a defender had a hold of his foot. And so he, I mean, it reminded me of how Bo Jackson injured his hip. Oh, wow. I'm not saying that's what happened. I have, I don't, I don't know that, but it was that type of where he's doing a leg drive and somebody's got his foot Mm -hmm. and he yanks it and he immediately got out. He knew he was hurt. He immediately got up and waved to the sideline and was immediately greeted by Rob Hunt at the sideline. I hope it's not that, but that's what it reminded me of because it was, it was similar to that. It was good to, I was pleased to see him after the game. Like, I mean, he was like in the mix with everybody else. Well, that's good. That's good. You know, he wasn't like off in the, you know, he was still present there, so that was good. Next Question from Irish from... Red, 23-23. Did Al Golden outsmart himself by sacrificing the run defense to stop Caleb Williams, ultimately resulting in Williams and the run game being what hurt Notre Dame most? The it's a pick your, it's is, a pick your poison. It, You're it, definitely I a pick just, your poison. I just, think, I just think it is. I think it is. And Notre Dame's D-line had to play better against their offensive line, and Austin Jones was – was was really good and really hard. Austin Jones looked like Logan Diggs, Tim, in reference to what you said, yeah. car- carrying people. Um, you know, and I, was Nordim was Nordim worn down going into this game? I don't know. USC just went, took it to the limit with with UCLA the week before. Uh, we had we wondered about you know our practices too hard in November. We don't we don't have any evidence of that per se, but. We know how Marcus Freeman likes to get after it in practice during the week. And so, I mean, in some respects, they looked like a uh, a little bit more, uh, worn down team, certainly in comparison to USC. USC, Notre Dame had a lot to play for. I don't think that was the issue, but USC had more to play for. I don't think that was any issue, though. I think Notre Dame, like uh, there was somebody who was talking about this online and I never bothered getting the debate. It might have been our board. <laughs> Who has the intangibles advantage? Just like I don't think Notre Dame has any disadvantage in intangibles, just because USC can make the playoff. Like Notre Dame going out there to stop USC from making the playoff, and they're playing really well. Notre Dame was coming off yeah. a great game and a great month. They had no disadvantage <laughs> in terms of intangibles for me. Sometimes no, the team just. I thought the scheme was fine. It just wasn't played very well. Um, like I understood what they were trying to do, but the defensive line just has to play better than it. Did. And the linebackers have to play better. That was not well, a. An example, the, the the third and two in Nordame's first series where they ran wide, Nordame had the Nordame had three tight ends to the right side of the formation. They had the numbers, and Davis Davis Sherwood goes to the second level and allows Shane Lee to uh, take a free shot, a free run. You know, I mean, ultimately the teachers have to make sure that the students know how to to you know fill out the test, so to speak. And and they didn't in that instance. I, I, the 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 knee jerk reaction to every time a play fails, that's a bla- bad play call. And we we've, we've talked about that before. I, I, You're going to get it, to talk about that for 365 yeah. more no, days. I, I, no, and I get that because if I if I say that, then I'm then I'm defending Tommy Reese. But I would just like a little bit of objectivity when we evaluate these kind of things play by play because that was the right call. They had the personnel. It should have been blocked. And it was Mitchell Evans who went to the second level, not David Sherwood. You're positive about that. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, the three were the three were uh, aligned to that side. Either Correct. way, either way, one of the one of the uh, one of the three tight ends uh, did not do a good job. So, 
moving on to question from Indy Bass 2001. Do you believe the university will allow the program to go into the transfer portal more aggressively this offseason? And can the inconsistent and unbalanced office be fixed in the transfer portal in one offseason? Yes, uh, to the first question. I don't. I mean, yes, if you can find a quarterback. Right. Um, I think that's what the fix is. Who can balance things out. Um, I do. I know Notre Dame is having a lot of internal discussions now about like, how does the portal work for us? How can we sort of still be Notre Dame, uh, but use the portal? There's some concern and understandably so that like, all right, you, you're promoting this four for 40, four for a lifetime. Can you just come in here and be one for a lifetime? Like that there's there's a perception around Notre Dame that like you, if you have a degree, it should be you put in the same work as everybody else or similar work. Um, so that's, I think something people are going to have to come to terms with around Notre Dame. Um, I think that that has been in process for weeks, if not months. Um, and they get, they have to, they just have to get to a better spot with this, um, than, than where they are right now. Building on that, let's add some logic to the first year of trying to make these changes. They will have to be exceptionally aggressive this year, like they were in 2020, only even maybe even more so with graduate transfers, that they get the best graduate transfers humanly possible to play for Notre Dame next year. Like the 2020 team, if they didn't have Nick McLeod and Skoranek, would not have, and they brought in two more that didn't work out. They brought in Spates, and who, who am I missing? Um, previously, they brought in Isaiah Pryor. That was a different season. So, but if you didn't bring in Skoranek and McLeod, you would not have gone 10 and 0, 10 and 1, whatever. Um, you have to get the cream of the crop grad transfers this year while you are working out how to be more aggressive in the portal with undergrads because it's not going to happen. It won't be a sweeping change overnight, logically, right? Well, not to the extent that, I mean, how does Nordame, Pete, you said Nordame staying Nordame. How does Nordame stay Notre Dame? if they're taking scholarships away from kids that just recently signed a scholarship as, as a freshman, I mean, that ultimately, Oh, they're not going to do that though, because they don't have to, their name's going to have 10 transfers out every year. Well, yeah. that's true. It, that, yeah. that will even out, but my, my, okay. That USC has 19 transfers this year. Notre Dame yes. is not going to do no, that. They can't do that. They I think, I think a workable number for Notre Dame and it still won't keep pace with USC probably in a lot of other schools uh is half a dozen six to eight yeah four and four workable... you can get four grad transfers for sure so you can get four under hopefully you can get four undergrads in there right yeah i don't, I don't know what the could when you said that i i thought four total um but i'm they've done i that am setting already. aside john sott and blake groupie as like well i'll do respect to specialists i'm talking about offense, offense and defense. defense yeah but they've just did four that's what it, i mean the scronic here they did four it's space was one of them. That's why we don't remember it. I'll look it up. So I'm not missing somebody. That might've yeah. been prior. Was that prior's first? Yeah, it was prior's first yeah, year. Prior yeah, was I was going to say, I think he was prior's first year. Yeah. You have to be able to get that. If you're Notre Dame competing right now, you have to get those guys. Yeah. Nick and McLeod, I mean, ben Skoranek and Isaiah prior. You can't, you got to figure in. out a way to make the, the undergrad transfers work. And it's like, yeah. there's Notre Dame doesn't need to keep pace with USC. Like they don't need to do 19 transfers. If Notre Dame wants to have themselves be a program, that's more, uh, recruiting high school recruiting and four-year player development base that's fine i mean that's right. been working for a very long time it, it works pretty well for clemson right now um like not everyone needs to do it the same way but Notre Dame has to do a, have more leeway marcus freeman needs to have more leeway than he has that he currently has 
I, I think we should add to this, Tim and Pete. We wouldn't even, I don't think, have this discussion if Notre Dame brought in a good quarterback transfer last offseason. Uh, no, I think we would still have it. You um, think so? You don't think would, they would be 10 would and 2 feel, just barely losing? Be, the, the tone of the conversation would be different, but like, yeah. The port the portal still needs to to be a thing. It's it's pretty wild to um, you know. Again, we had a lot of questions: who's going to leave? And we just got we just got we got a little let a little time and information gathering to to uh, to to know a all lot of more that, people are going to leave though, Tim, than left last year. No, with there's the happy no doubt feelings about of Marcus Freeman staying and Tommy Reese and all that stuff. There's way there's more. No, there's yeah. no doubt about it. The exodus of of players from Notre Dame football is going to reach an all-time high as well. And it was very high Kelly's last year. Like that was when you, all things considered guys like Jameer Smith and Franklin, it went on right. and on and on and on. They just kept leaving. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it will, uh, I mean, as many leave this year or probably more yeah. in the future, just because sure. everybody's entering the transfer portal across the country. And that influences that impacts everybody. Question from, 618 Irish, which players are most likely to sit out the bowl game? Who do you see getting expanded playing time in the bowl game? Let's talk about Sit Michael ups. Mayer. Let's talk about Isaiah Foskey and um, Jared Brandon Joseph. Brent. He's going to sit out the bowl game. Why would not? Why not? Brandon Joseph. He's ready to go pro. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll consider Brandon Joseph too. First of all, Cam Hart. Yeah. I, I, Jared, I Jarrett Patterson is going to play in a bowl game. That's great. That doesn't mean he's got, I'm going to list about 10 guys. that might sit out the bowl. All game right. Well, year. go ahead. Well, Michael right. Mayer, you guys go ahead, run with it. Pete, go first. Cause I'm going to add some names that people don't think of. I'm just, uh, I, I mean, don't I see what mayor will sit out the bowl game. Um, you know, Cam Hart's injured. His, yeah. He's not playing. And even yeah, if he was barely injured, he could his arm the was a sling, in a sling yeah. um, on Saturday night. So, I don't see how that would make sense. Yeah, Joseph, I don't know. Um, but beyond that, like Foskey. Foskey. Yeah, oh yeah. Foskey. Fos- I like what you said in on the weekend, Pete. That's a good mention what you think about Foskey. I think someone I someone will have to convince him to sit out. But I think it's a convincible thing. I think he oh, would yeah, like for to, sure. I think he would um, like to play. Isaiah I think Foskey. somebody would have to convince Mayer to sit out, but I think he's much more convincible for obvious reasons. Um, so yeah, I, but that's it. I mean, it's, it's Foskey, Mayer, and you know, if, if Patterson's playing, that that would be one that would be like, eh, I would consider it if I was him. But I guess I'm thinking, yeah, if consider- you're transferring, why are you playing in the bowl game? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, because you see guys enter the portal already yeah. or, say, yeah. or announce they're entering the portal and then officially yeah. can enter next week. Someone asked about Lug. I don't see any reason why Lug would. Why would he was Lug the be? least likely player ahead of Drew Pine in my idea, in my eyes, to sit at the bowl game. <laughs> Josh Lug, because yeah. <laughs> he has no eligibility left and he wants to play for Notre Dame. At least Drew Pine, we know, is going to someday play somewhere else at some point in his career. It, it's just got recruited over. It doesn't have to be next year, but Drew Pine someday will play somewhere else. Who who else would be? I mean, why? I mean, Houston I mean, Jason Adams. You know, I Jason get Jason. I don't. Braden Lindsay, Houston Griffith, Tariq Bracy, Chris Tyree. Anybody that won't be back next year nowadays can sit out a meaningless bowl to prepare for the. They call a meaningless bowl now to prepare for the NFL or to prepare to go somewhere else. One of these guys is going to sit out the bowl. You'll be like, wow, I never thought of that. Except we've said it on the podcast, so now we've thought about it. <laughs> 
Uh, what if Justin Adamiola gets the, uh, you know what, I'm going to try going pro. Is he going to play in the in the Cheez-It Bowl? Well, I, I mean, it's not, it's not like they're world. clamoring to. Yeah, I know, but it's not like the NFL's clamoring to to uh, draft Justin Adamiola. No, but if he's going, I'm not saying Justin Adamiola is going to sit out, but if Justin Adamiola knows he's going pro, he's going to play in the Cheez-It Bowl and chance getting hurt because then he'll never play in the pros. <laughs> But Tim, I, you're I, acting I just, like this is I know, but the I mean, idea. You're, you're, this is the reality. How many teams? Well, have we haven't seen it. We out. haven't seen that happen yet. So we don't. I mean, that's not the reality that Justin Adamalo is. But they played in the, the Fiesta Bowl. Game. They played in the Fiesta Bowl and in the playoff the last two years. I, you know, I when, when it happens, I will come on this podcast and say you were absolutely right. But I mean, I don't know. Justin Adamalo's profile isn't. He, no, it's I, not, but he is one of 12 guys that may not be on Notre Dame next year that is a pretty quality player. Yeah, I think that the one of the mistakes that we can make here is like if Justin Adamola plays in the bowl game against Mississippi State or South Carolina, like that's not going to change anything with the NFL. Not at it's all. all. It's all risk, no reward. Unless the only reward is like I want to do it because my I'm playing with my brother. Yeah, uh, that's great. That's teammates, that's what he's like. Yeah. Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, all that. Like that's the reward. The NFL is there's no reward. There's no upside for his future to play in the bowl game. Okay, so it will depend upon how each individual player views the risk. Yeah, and views 100%. and views their plan for next year too, right? You you have a year. You have a, you might know I'm the fourth string something, or I'm I'm one of four running backs. Do I want to play? I think Chris Tyree is interested in helping Notre Dame, but what if he knows I have to be a slot receiver to be at Notre Dame next year, or I could go somewhere else. If we talk about the portal matter, I mean the portal is going to get good players too. <laughs> Just because it, the best player to leave basically is what Ovia Gofu? Am I am I missing someone? Jerkovic, the most he had a really productive good first year. player that left. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. Aaron Lynch was fine. I guess that was pretty poor. No, that's though. nothing to do with yeah. the portal, though. I mean, that's. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, Aaron Lynch Tim, was fine, but Tim, Tim, I, I they, went to, the, they went to the from, championship but... game without Aaron Lynch. So, yeah. I mean, what would that do? I, I he was in Alabama. <laughs> I hear where you're coming from here, Tim. But I mean, if every individual player looks at that, then. Yeah, we're going to be seeing a lot of backups playing all across the country, including at Notre Dame. And I just, I mean, I don't, I don't for a second think that Justin Admiral is going to sit up. I, I, he's I, merely one of 12 guys that has a decision to make going into next year. There's, there's a bunch of guys. I think Justin Amiola will play for Notre Dame in the bowl game, but we're, we're taking this out of context. We act like there's only three guys that aren't going to, that could possibly set out the bowl game. That is not the reality anymore. There, Joe Wilkins transferred in November. <laughs> Yeah, he's a fifth is, year senior. He couldn't hang out and play a little longer to help the team. Like he was already, he had already lost any. Like, why would he do that? Yeah, he, he played, played six games. Up. Yeah, it's it's just crazy that situation we're in now. And so, so this is why I say there are so many questions that we don't have the answers to because it's a it's a whole new world of college football that is still evolving, and it's going to take a significant turn or evolution within the next couple months. All right. As, I just as, like let's view minor bowl games for what they are. They're they are not part of this season. They're basically like a spring game, but in the winter. Um they're they're sort of they're unto themselves. Like that's how the players view them, that's how coaches view them. Um, I think you know, fans are not quite there yet, but we'll get there. Grim 04, assuming Tyler Buckner is 100% full goal for bowl practice, 
what would you do snap-wise for the game? Would you start Buckner, play him in a package, or stick with Pine barring injury? I don't think he's 100% full goal for bowl practice with a broken collarbone in September, and that was a story. That was a, For me, that was a non-story that was asked last Monday, and Freeman was nice and positive because he's happy that it's Tyler Buckner's progress. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's, a I don't, I don't think, think he's thing. playing. Do you Pete? No. I mean, why would you like to what? Okay. End? Let's say he's I mean, 100% you... awesome. Uh, I would play him in a package to help the running game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To answer yeah. the question. Right. Yeah. I, that I would, I would do that too. Um, at the risk of him risking being injured again. I, you if know, I mean, returning we're look... from a sprained ankle. Yeah. Sure. Right. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. That's I not don't, what happens. I don't, I, the the risk reward of playing him is is almost all risk. Question from Sean Nod Sean OD sixty four. How important will the bowl practices be in the development of the young linebackers, particularly Jalen Sneed and Prince Collie? I go back and forth on this because we know that like Procise and Tory Hunter first flashed in bowl practices. But I also know that they're not going to go with 15. I don't think they're going to do a 15 practice thing. It's been so long. Different coach. I mean, different different coach, different situation. I just don't think that the 15 practice thing ever happens. They need to rest. They need to recover. Um, Sneed and Kali, I think, would be very involved in the practices, though, while the senior linebackers are resting and recovering. Yeah, I would, you know, we're, we're mentioning the transfer portal, like, if I was Notre Dame, I would yeah. I would lean more and more into Kali and Sneed, maybe even in the game plan itself, um, to keep like, all right, let's see what you got. Also to keep you very engaged. Like I I asked Al Golden uh, a version of that question a couple of weeks ago. It's like, okay, after Sneed gets a taste of it, like, do you see a more engaged practice player? And he's like, Yeah, because then like he's got some something on the line. So like Make sure that Kali and Sneed feel good about their position in the program for all of December, including the bowl game. To me, that's that's important whether they get better at dark diagnosing RPOs or not. Um, you got to make sure that they're in a good frame of mind heading into spring and that that spring will be at Notre Dame. I was a little surprised that not so much Sneed because he's just working his way in, in onto the field, but I was a little surprised that, Tim, how many snaps did Kali have? Yeah, one. Did you give one? I yeah, one. I mean, I'm a little, I'm a little surprised, a little surprised at that. But um, and I don't, you know, I don't know. I think, I think it's a good point. Again, you gotta, you gotta play the game, and you gotta, you gotta make sure that, especially with, well, I mean, both those guys, Sneed Kali. I mean, uh, but especially Kali because he's a year further yeah. into the program. But Sneed uh, would have no reason to not to doubt right, right, his, right, right, his situation. Right, right. So it's, you know, we're going in a direction where. And I, 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 I don't think I've ever. I know I have never used the phrase "meaningless bowl" before, but I, I know get, but I get it. I get. Yeah, it. I mean, I told, I totally. I will. I will never use that phrase, but uh, I totally get it, and it's trending more towards that phrase. It is, as, and, as and I, I don't on. like that either. But that I, it's got. It is viewed that way. I mean. I know. Why do people you know, get out if it means something? You know, <laughs> is there a point spread on? Is there a point spread on the game? Not that I'm a better. I just, I, you know, I, I love that. Yeah. I love following that. Uh, and so, you know, if the game's being played, I, it's important. But I, I, I certainly understand that it's, it's gone in that direction, and uh, more and more and more of these players will be skipping out on, uh, on these games that are deemed meaningless. 
Next from Slatty66, is Deion Colsey's second half of the season the biggest surprise, and does it make up for some of the regression we saw in Lorenzo Styles? I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't look at like making up for the one does not correlate to the other. I mean, Lorenzo Styles' game didn't diminish because, uh, because uh, Colsey emerged. It, it didn't have anything to do with that. I, man, Colsey, last five games, he had four of the last five games, he was impactful. He was targeted 11 times and caught nine passes for 185 yards in the touchdown and and he's hugely significant, but Lorenzo styles, the best thing we've seen Lorenzo styles do is return a kickoff aggressively. I still think that he's catching passes. And as I put it in tail of the tape, it's like, he's feeling for the, the light switch, you know, and that's kind of how he's running with the football very tentatively after the catch. He doesn't believe he's going to break a tackle. He doesn't believe he's going to run away his body language with the football in his hands is very poor except for that kick return. He looked really, really good on that one. Yeah. Colsey's second half of the season was impressive. Like I'd put him and Xavier Watts as like two guys that from mid season on really turned it on. Like this will sound weird, but like drew pine a little bit of credit for like in season player development too. I mean, the way he ended the year based on how he started I mean, think about the first pass he threw of the season and the last pass he threw of the season. Like, mm-hmm. couldn't be any more different. Yeah, I uh, think there were just so many ups and downs. Like, if you think about his second and third game versus his, I'm throwing two numbers out there, seventh and eighth, you're not that impressed. Right. Yeah, it's, I, you know, I guess it's the typical inconsistency of a first-time starter. Yes, I, you I know, that, that is not uncommon. Um, but I, I understand the Notre Dame fans look at that that his his ceiling is not as high as a lot of other guys that, that, that you would prefer to have at the helm. I think it's fair. I, I think Drew Pine did a good job this year of being the backup quarterback and leading Notre Dame to eight and or presiding and leading at times over an eight and two team. That was what he had. He, he came into Owen two. He split with Clemson and USC. He had a bad loss in Stanford. Had some good wins at North Carolina. Um, but Deion Colsey does deserve a lot of credit because I don't know if it's the biggest surprise or not. I guess from August to then, we were we were shocked to see Deion Colsey making plays because we hadn't heard a word about him. Uh, but Deion Colsey helped them beat Syracuse. That game got tight, and he was the one that made a couple of third down plays that kept yeah. things going. All those plays count. You know, I, I give Stucky credit too. I mean, you have to, we, we, we always want to blame. You have to give credit to development as well. But it's mainly Deion Colsey because there was a lot of questioning about whether he had had what it took to pay the price to be right. a, and he hasn't arrived yet. He still has a lot to accomplish, but what a major step forward. And, you know, I mean, great for the kid. I feel great for the kid. I don't really know Deion Colsey well, but I feel great for him that, I mean, he faced adversity, he faced the injury adversary, adversary, and he, he faced some, some questions internally as to whether he was going to develop and went along with, Stucky and the, and uh, you know the other coaches, um, he he made a huge huge step forward, and now and now you think about Tobias Merriweather in the mix with him next year, and you know Jaden Thomas took a huge step forward. Jaden Thomas, Jaden Thomas took a big step forward this year, and you get Styles back to playing to the level that he's capable of with the guys that are coming in. You know, maybe you can change the narrative at wide receiver here. Irish fan 102 rank the head coaching performances of the three former defensive coordinators, Elko Lee and Freeman. That would be this year's 
Yeah, Coaching really good, really, uh, really good question. I would, um, why do you have, I think you put Elko first. Sure. Oh yeah. Elko um, has to be number one. On yeah. This. Um, you know, that Duke is, Duke is nobody to be taken lightly. If you're an ACC opponent, I, I, I haven't obviously haven't also studied. the ACC stinks. So that really yeah. can't take him lightly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does the, the league stinks so badly you can't take anybody lightly but uh i put elko first and uh who would you have second guys i go freeman second and lee third but like you know clark's season there was to get florida and yeah at kentucky um was pretty impressive because like they had they hadn't won an sec game in like almost three years so they're shopping down different aisles. They're hard to compare. Woo, yeah, yeah, I gotta, yeah, yeah, I've got to put. I'll, I'll take. I'll take Freeman second too. Marcus Freeman, I think, could find a way to beat a team at Vanderbilt too. If he had a stamp of the program for two years, yeah, I won't give him a little credit. I mean, we're really comparing apples and oranges. Oh yeah, so it's, when we I mean, start doing that. So I mean, I could make an argument taking away Lee, for Lee being Clark second. Lee. Yes, taking yeah. away nothing from Clark. It's, Lee, a, it's just... a real. I thought it was a really interesting question, uh, but but the criteria. And, and the situation makes it so different. It's it's hard to rank those. I you know I could argue for Lee second, considering you know the the, the big victories that he did have. But boy, they ended on a ended on a real sour note. It's it's so. This is how different it is. Vanderbilt should never beat Florida. Notre Dame should always be able to beat Ohio State, Clemson, and USC, or one of the three. That that's that's how crazy different yeah. it is. You know who it's else just, Notre Dame should always be able to beat? Yeah, Stanford. Well, I don't know about always, but certainly Marshall and Stanford and Stanford this year. Question from uh, Jay Marasco. It's bull time. What does the next month look like preparation preparation wise? How important are the 15 practices for the 2023 season with many players sitting out a potential QB battle this spring, summer, the unknown QBs coaching changes. What is gained by playing in the bowl? Will the players be motivated? Well, guys like Josh Lugg and Drew Pine and Howard Cross and returning players such as that are definitely motivated. Uh, they also need time off. The 15 practices we've talked about a little bit. You got to go heavily towards the young, towards the young guys. It just these they've been beaten up for three months. It does you no good to beat up your veterans more for this bull. They they sit guys out a little bit when they're preparing for playoff games. Remember how shocked we'd be? They're like, yeah, we had a all twos scrimmage. It's nine days before the playoff <laughs> you did what <laughs> who's out recruiting yeah, and doing I what mean, it's you're playing in a playoff game so i think it's heavily heavily weighted towards young players and what do you guys think for freeman's practices does he go heavier than kelly just by nature in terms of the total kelly had like 11 once yeah he did i was just gonna say 15 practices for a lesser bowl i won't use that other word for a lot 15 practices for a lesser bowl uh, is probably more than you need. And, and I think, you know, well, we're going, we're going to, I guess we'll find out a little bit more about how Marcus Freeman handles that in terms yeah. of reps for the, the younger guys. But I think most programs, uh, other than perhaps those that are playing for, for all the money, um, you know, tend to lean to more towards the, the younger guys to, to follow up what you said about it, Pete. I mean, the, this is kind of like the first game of next year, not so much a continuation of 2022. Yeah, I would agree with all that. Um, you know, does Drew Pine need a ton of work? Probably not. Um, I think you it's really want up. to see Angeli, right, Pete? That's yeah. Talk. I mean, that's. I'm not saying you need to see Angeli in the game, but like Angeli should get a 
lot of practice work. Um, but you know, for the most, I mean, we talked about this all year, like who are the younger guys on offense that they're not playing? Like, well, with Josh Lug should Pat Patterson shouldn't practice much. So you should get a good look at yeah. Schroff and Spindler and Kristoffic is a you want to see where they stand against Kristoffic. That's a guy yeah. you 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 kind of want to obviously they're not as good as Patterson and Lug, but where do they stand against Kristoffic if they could get him out there? Yeah, I think Kuga needs a lot of snaps. Yeah. I know they like Ashton Craig. He needs a lot of snaps during that time. Uh, again, this is one of those questions. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that we have a lot of answers for all of this stuff, but um, what's to be, you know, I mean, I think they'll be motivated because they play for Marcus Freeman. I think Marcus Freeman yeah, will motivate that them. That helps. That does help that there's still a, there's some Notre Dame is usually maybe like the, uh, what was it? The against Oregon state in 2004. When you're not motivated to play in a bowl game, that's probably one of those situations. I could see that. But when you're losing your coach is and you don't have your and you have an interim in, that's when you worry about coaching, about motivation, because it almost has to be internal motivation at that point when you're changing over coaching staffs and you have an interim guy. That's a tough situation. But that, yeah, they they should be motivated to play in the game. It's just you're not motivated uh to practice their best players for the next eleven practices. Who would you guys I'm veering off here? Who would you guys like to see them play in the bowl game based upon what we consider to be the possibilities of where they're going to end up. Well, problem in South Carolina is Rattler could skip it, right? Couldn't Rattler skip it? He's draft eligible right now. Yeah, I yeah. Don't, I mean, he hasn't played nearly well enough. He's going to ride the last two games, and he's going to he's going to. I would like uh, to face rest. South Carolina and Spencer Rattler. That would be fun. I don't want to face South Carolina and their backup quarterback. Uh, yeah, I. Mississippi State Mississippi does absolutely State nothing for does. me other than the press conferences. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be fun, actually. That's that's it, man. Like, yeah, that clearly LSU getting Cheez killed by Georgia. Bowl, like, I'd love to figure out a way that it could be Notre Dame, Texas, just because like we like we like covering games with good brands. Um, you know, the Holiday Bowl would be the Holiday Bowl. I feel like is an automatic good matchup for like interest based on yeah. the teams available. The Gator Bowl, uh, like South Carolina is as good as that's going to get. Or LSU, right? <laughs> Go ahead and comment, Pete. No, nah, I got nothing to say on that. <laughs> Let's get, you know what? That's going to happen. It's going to replace is. Iowa State as like this thing that just hangs around my neck for years. They're going to lose by, to Georgia by 75 points, and they're going to end yeah. up playing Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl. <laughs> I think it's harsh. Yeah. <laughs> and there's – okay. Let's go back to the motivation question. And yeah, how many Jason guys Daniels are practicing? Out of that game. Patterson's going to get 17 bowl practices in if they're playing LSU. <laughs> they're going to run him into the yeah. Crowd. Maybe that's how that's how Mayer <laughs> plays in the bowl game. Yes, that no. Okay, I will. I will remove a lot of guys sitting out uh, the very meaningful bowl game if yeah. they play Brian. There's nothing Kelly quite like spite as a motivational tool. <laughs> We're going to wrap up with a question from Play Like Champ Seven. What should Marcus Freeman's top three priorities be this offseason? Finding a quarterback in the portal and O'Malley, you can choose the other two. Yeah, that is easily number one. Um, I did. It's still his number one priority for the whole offseason. The last one is he's stay climbing that recruiting ladder where you are the top four, not the top ten, um, which he would have been easily would have been. Just they lost three or lost two and a half very big prospects. Uh, that's number two. 
Number three would be the uh, self-scouting, self-analysis as a head coach and coordinator level. What am I, uh, what do we need to tweak? Uh, we've already said a thousand times he'll be a much better coach in year five for Notre Dame than he was in year one. He should be a better coach in year two, I would guess too. And very hard look at exactly what he wants from the approach from staff. I don't, I don't think there's going to be Marcus Freeman making many staff changes, but uh, you always as a head coach want to look and see, are we better off having the exact same staff back or are we better off with something else somewhere along the way? And that's, that's all only he can know that not us. I don't know that he's inclined to make changes after one year. Now, if, agree, someone, if someone wants to leave, uh, that would be another thing, you know, uh, portal, um, obviously you know, recruiting is recruiting is not 365 days a year. It's there's 450 days in a year of recruiting. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, Re- recruiting is just getting amped up further and further and you include the recruitment of guys that go into the portal. So it, it is a roster development is, I mean, it's something that you have to be aware of and, and deal with almost on a daily basis. The, the crazy thing for me is how much do you like stick with back channels for recruiting portal people or people that aren't in the portal at this point, because not every people aren't sticking with back channels. So how, how much do you push the boundary on that? Yeah. Uh, a lot. Yeah, I agree. No, it's, it's, I, I think that that this staff, uh, I think Marcus in particular, like they're going to be real aggressive with that stuff. Um, I think in the past, Notre Dame has probably been more conservative in the, in these kinds of instances um, well plus but, the portal was not what it was for brian kelly to be fair they didn't have too many chances to go yeah non-back jail all right well moving forward right right now we do not have a a set podcast schedule uh but we will let everybody know exactly what direction we're we're going with that as we we'll have a bowl game announced on sunday we will have a bowl game announced uh what do you know what's the time of that I'm sure the thing is at noon, so right around. Yeah. I'll file in early afternoon. Yeah, so we'll keep you posted on that. But like right now, uh, we're unsure about the balance of the week. So at the latest, our next podcast would be on Monday to discuss the happenings from the the conference championship games and the bowl matchups and where Notre Dame might end up. So uh, Notre Dame eight and four with a few options here, and we'll see what happens this weekend. With another, um, would, would, I'm re- I don't I want to see USC Utah again because it's probably going to be really high scoring and yeah. and, a, and a whole lot of fun. So a lot to watch, a lot to uh, keep you informed on. We'll do our best as we move forward. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider.